I don't know about you, but I enjoy vacations. Anybody enjoy a good vacation here? Raise your hand. All right, good, good. A lot of y'all. It's almost that time of the year where you get one after another. It's great. You get Thanksgiving a few days later. You get uh, a few weeks later. You get Christmas and you get New Year's. And maybe you'll even take a vacation somewhere in there. It's, it's just great. Vacations are awesome. And they're even better when they don't follow you home with all the bills. So I would suggest set back, do, do some savings, do some planning ahead. It will just create uh, greater anticipation. But I love vacations. I love traveling. In fact, uh, on my uh, remote control in the favorite category of our, of, our, uh, of our satellite system, I have two of my favorite channels, Travel Channel and National Geographic. I just like traveling. I like seeing the world, where we've lived and places we've gone. And where I've had family that's lived, we've been able to see some really cool places. Uh, whenever my brother was living in Germany, stationed there in the Army, we were able to go visit one of the most beautiful castles in the world when we went to visit him, uh, the new Schweinstein Castle. Uh, it's a beautiful castle. Disney Castle was actually kind of brought off of that, and so we were able to go and visit it and walk through it. We saw several other castles while we were there. We also were able to travel, because it's in the southern area of, of Germany, we were able to travel down into, uh, into Austria, and uh, they were sitting there on the, on the side of the hills where they did the sound of music, and she danced around, and she did all that kind of stuff. I won't sing the songs. But uh, anyway, so we did that. And then uh, uh, thank you for not dancing or singing. I don't know. Both. Okay. Uh, then, then we were able to go to uh, one of uh, Hitler's hideouts there. I don't have a picture of it, but Hitler's hideouts, Eagle's Nest in the Bavarian uh, area of, of southern Germany. And that was quite the quite the experience to go there. And literally from that spot, we went down deep, deep into the valley to the place uh, Dachau, uh, uh, and we went to uh, a concentration camp. And when you see this beautiful hideout where Hitler's uh, place was, and then you go down to the depths of death, it was quite the contrast to be able to see that. You know, going there and visiting was one of, uh, I would say, one of, our, one of our favorite vacations. Also living in Africa... For four years, you're, you're able to see and do a lot of things. One of the things that brought me probably one of the greatest adrenaline rushes is whenever I was, well, we actually lived right next to Victoria Falls. So, I mean, why am I living here when I could live there? I don't know. But, I mean, that's where we live. We live 10 minutes from that Victoria Falls, one of the natural wonders of the world, beautiful place. But um, one of the things that brought me the greatest adrenaline rushes was whenever uh, I was with a real live, not this Hollywood version or Australian version, crocodile hunter. And he literally hunted crocodiles that were larger than 10 feet because once a crocodile gets so large, he no longer goes for fish because he's not fast enough. He's too big. He will actually come on land and get goat and cattle and people. And we actually did funeral services for people who lost their family members to crocodiles. And uh, so as, as we were uh, there, this, this man was actually going out and going to hunt a 14-foot crocodile that had been taking some, uh, some cattle and some goats from some farmers. And so I said, can I go along? And, uh, and, and so he did. In a boat not much larger than a John boat, all right, uh, nine of us climb into this boat, and we are tootling along uh, down the Zambezi River, and uh, we harpoon, long story short, but we brought in a 14-foot live crocodile, all right, and uh, I got a video for it, man. You don't believe me? I'll show you the video, but I don't have time today. 
Uh, but anyway, we brought this, this crocodile in, taped his mouth shut before we got him into the boat. And, uh, and, and anyway, so we got him into the boat, and it was just really cool. I'm petting this crocodile as we're going down the river on our way home. But that wasn't actually the scariest moment. It's actually whenever I was chased by a white rhino. It wasn't in this photo, but you can see there's three rhino in the background. But literally, we were in our vehicle, and we were, and this is, again, not far from our house where we live, but we were chased by a rhino, and he, they can move pretty fast when they decide to. And I could just imagine the side of our truck being, being speared with his, uh, uh, with his horn. But anyway, that was, again, another one of those adrenaline rushes that you go through. Family vacations are a blast. And if you ask our family, our kids, because this, this past summer, I felt like it was a kind of an obligation on our part to kind of do vacation at least once, not flying somewhere, but driving somewhere. The way I grew up on vacations is you drove road trip vacations. And so we did that this past summer. We, uh, we, we were able to go to five, uh, six different states. We went to Oklahoma and Texas and big deal, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then we go on into New Mexico and Arizona and Utah and Colorado. We were able to see some beautiful spots. And the visit, we traveled over 2,000 miles, and we all came back, and it was, it was good. We didn't, we climbed, we, we, I, I tell people we, we hiked down into the Grand Canyon. Uh, but the realization is, is we hiked halfway down, okay? And we felt, realized then we got to hike out too. And so then we turned around and came back out. We, that counts as at least a hole, right? Two halves make a hole. So we at least went down. Now, we'd still be down there otherwise. But, you know, the greatest accomplishment, oh, that was in four states at one time, too. Uh, it's the only place in the states where you, so four corners, and you can go, and you can be in all four states. That's the only push-up I did the entire trip. But th- that, that's it. But, you know, the, the, the greatest accomplishment of this whole, whole trip, you can take it off that slide. Let's get past that. One. All right. The greatest accomplishment of the trip was I didn't have to once ask for directions. All right. Now, men understand what I'm talking about with that. I didn't have to stop one time and say, I'm lost, I need directions. Because I had a smart little tool with me called a GPS. And that kept me on course. And that was a beautiful little tool. And I love the inventions. But you know what? I think uh, as you think about your life and my life and spirituality and all that kind of stuff, I think there's a whole lot of room and a whole lot of opportunity to get lost out there. There's a whole lot of opportunity to, to face crocodiles, if you want to call it that. To face some things that you might... You say, oh, those are cuddly things because the crocodile hunter plays with them. I want to play with them. No, they're not. They're to be reckoned with. They're to be feared. And there's a whole lot of things out there that as we journey through life, and I love the analogy of faith and life and a journey, as we journey through life that we can easily get on the wrong road. We can easily get on a side road. We can easily get on a dead end. We can easily get off course in the whole pursuit of God that we might even miss God in our pursuit of God. Think about that. How can you miss God when you are pursuing God unless somehow in that whole process, you, in your pursuit of God, you got on the wrong course? So I think we need to be mildly aware of what's going on around us and what course we're on and what road we're on. This is what Eddie Gibbs said about the courses that are out there. He says, in recent decades, spirituality has reemerged as a potent societal force. Spirituality is defined as an inner quest for meaning and the exploration of options. And the, the, the idea of spirituality is not equating that immediately all the time with Christianity. 
In fact, there's a whole lot of spiritual-minded people in this world that absolutely can't stand the Christianity of this world. And so how is it that we can be spiritual but not be Christian, and Christian and not spiritual? I mean, there's a whole lot of disconnect there that we've got to be ever mindful of. Take your Bibles. We find the book of Colossians. We'll be there in just a moment. Colossians chapter 2, where we work through this study of, of Colossians, because here's this church, this, this believers in Colossia, and they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to, to, to figure out this newfound faith, but they're facing the same opportunities, if you want to call it that, opportunities for other options of spirituality out there. They're, they're facing the opportunity to enter into some distortions of, of Christianity. One being, the primary being, that of Gnosticism. It's kind of a new kind of faith. Call it the new religion beyond Christianity and beyond Judaism. Gnosticism was this pagan combination of paganism and Judaism and Christianity all rolled up into one. Yes, Christ is good, they would say, but Christ is good, and but He's not enough. And so Colossians is writing this, Paul's writing to this church in Colossia, and the entire book is to tell you and tell us that yes, Christ is enough. He's enough, He's sufficient, He's complete. There's no, no preservatives or additives needed with Jesus. He's enough. And if we can embrace that and understand that, we don't have to bring in all the extra spirituality that's out there concoctions that are out there and be distorted and messed up. Real life, real stuff Christianity that we talk about is realizing that Christ is enough and resting in that reality. The question for us today is, is Christ enough for me? That I'm really to put my, my, my wheels in line with Him and go with Him wherever that may mean. And whatever that may mean for me. And I'm, am I going to really accept Christ being enough or am I going to try in my own concoction to figure out some other alternative mixed in? This road, you know, in Alaska the roads are frozen 90% of the time, maybe, maybe nine months out of the year. The roads are frozen over. And, but then in the few couple of months that the, the, the dirt roads that are not paved, obviously dirt roads that, that finally thaw out, these big logging trucks will go through those roads. And, and as they're going through these roads, these dirt roads, they'll create these tremendous ruts. A few months later, it's all frozen up again. And so this sign appeared uh, uh, on the side of the road that said, Choose your ruts carefully because you will be in them for the next 150 years. <laughs> you know, you've got to choose your ruts, if you want to call it that. Are you going to figure out what faith it is that you're going to follow? You've got to choose it in life because you're going to be there for an eternity. Again, I've said this before and I'll say it again, that we're all betting on something. You know, what are we going to bet on? What are we going to base our life on, our faith on, our, build our life upon? What are we going to do it on? And if it's not Christ, what is it? Okay, then figure it out. But I'll just tell you this, you're going to be setting yourself into a rut, into a, into a groove, into a life that will be forever. And I just want to challenge you, if I can be the traffic cop today for just a moment and kind of stand in the middle of the road of your life and for just a few moments take a second with you and say, hey, listen, beware. There are lots of detours. There's lots of dead ends. Beware of them. And that's what I want us to see as we think about journeying through faith, that there are, that there are paths that we might choose, but we need to beware of some. The first path that we might choose 
chooses a dead end. Okay? Beware of dead ends out there. Dead ends are great in the sense that they look just like a road. They have asphalt. They have curbs and gutters. Many dead ends that you'll go down, they'll have street lights. Many dead ends that you go down, there'll be people living on dead end streets. In fact, people that live on dead end streets many times like their dead end street because there's a lot less traffic, because they're able to let their kids go out and play. And so there's, they, kind of, they kind of have a, a trust in a dead end street. In fact, we even don't like the word dead end. We kind of wanted to create a different word, domesticate it, make it sound a little better, so we call it a cul-de-sac. You know, a cul-de-sac. Well, you know what a cul-de-sac is? It's actually a French word. I looked it up. It means the bottom of the bag. So you're living at the bottom of the bag when you're living in a cul-de-sac. All right? You're just basically living at a dead-end street. I don't care how you slice it and dice it. And the thing is, is the same money that builds these great freeways that we drive on, the same tax dollars, all of that kind of stuff, they're the same money that builds dead-end streets. So you could easily turn down a dead-end street. Now, again, I'm not thinking of the dead-end street that, you know, you can already look down at the end and you can see the cul-de-sac, or you can look down at the end and, you know... I'm talking about the dead-end street. And I'm not even talking about the dead-end street that has the warning before you go down the street that there's no exit or there's a dead-end or, or, you know... I'm talking about sometimes we'll turn down streets in our faith, in our life, that are cul-de-sacs or dead-ends, that they have no warning. They look just like all the other streets. And we really think, if I go down this street, this street's going to lead me somewhere. This, this street's going to take me somewhere. This, this street's going to be the great, the, the great opportunity for me. I want to give you two little facts about what we can learn from dead-end streets. Number one is not every street has a happy ending. You want to get me into road rage at myself, not anybody else, but at myself, is let me get on a dead-end street. Because really a dead-end street is one of those things that you can't recover from. And, you know, as a husband driving with family, you can't recover from a dead-end street. If you get on a take a wrong, take, let me give you an example. If you get on a street that doesn't have a dead-end, but you're, it's the wrong street for you, you can always say, but yes, this is a beautiful neighborhood, honey. I just wanted to show it to you. And you can just drive on through and go on out the other side. Or you can say, oh, this is just on the way, or this is just another way. But when you get on a dead-end street, there's no hope. All right, you're going to have to confess, I made a wrong turn, I did something wrong, I didn't know where I was going, and I'm going to have to get back on the right track. So not every, I mean, dead-end streets don't always have happy endings. Number two is that not every street that is going somewhere will end up somewhere. Not every street that's going somewhere will end up somewhere. It may be going somewhere, it may have chalk lines, it may have streets and gutters, it may have a street name, it may have street addresses, but it doesn't mean it's going somewhere. You know, I don't care which party you voted for in that last election, but there's no doubt that I think in my mind Sarah Palin got raped in the media and so forth. I mean, whether you like her or dislike her, Republican or Democrat or whatever, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the, the whole... You know, they couldn't find anything character wrong with her, so they attacked her wardrobe, you know, or her, 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 who, who did her hair. And I, again, I don't want to get into the whole political thing, but there was one of the things that just kind of kept coming up, and the Democrats would say, oh, she was for this certain bridge, and you know, she would say, no, I'm against this certain bridge. And, and you know, the, the, the debate goes on, but really the interesting thing is, is as you get on and study about this Gravina Island Bridge, a.k.a. the Bridge to Nowhere, it was interesting as you study this bridge to nowhere, the, uh, the Gravina Island Bridge, that is actually a, 
projected cost of $398 million to build this bridge that would connect the mainland to 50 residents on the other side. Now that's, to me, a fleecing of America, if you want to call it that. But again, I don't live there. You know, there's a ferry system that carries people back and forth right now, but $398 million for, for a bridge, otherwise known as the Bridge to Nowhere? Well, what's my point? You know what? You can spend $398 million if you want to. You can spend 398 million days of your life on a road to nowhere. Be very careful what road you choose. You will be on it for eternity. So here it is. As you think about this dead ends, look in chapter 2, verse 8, when Paul jumps out and gives us a warning. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through empty, uh, through philosophies and empty deception, according to the traditions of men and according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Beware out there, guys and gals. Beware that there's going to be some people out there, not intentionally, those who were Gnostics, they were not bad people. F.F. F. F. Bruce said, and he's probably one of the greatest New Testament scholars in the 20th century, said that Gnosticism was not a bad faith. That actually it was a very moral faith. It was a very good faith. It just was a, it was a, a faith that brought in many other religions and many other faiths. A kind, of a kind of a melting together kind of effect going on here. And what he's saying, he's saying, be careful that you don't get sucked into the empty deceit out there. That you don't start adding to Jesus because Jesus is enough. Now he may not be in, now listen to this, he may not be enough in your life right now, but that's not Jesus' fault. Jesus is enough. And figuring that connection out and that relationship out is going to be vitally important to really understanding what real stuff Christianity looks, feels, and tastes like. When we're in this world, we've got to realize that even in this day and age in which we live, just as it was in Paul's day, we are dealing with a lot of deceptive thought out there. One of those is the thought of pluralism that's around, that's vibrant today. Pluralism says make your own path. Basically, you know, you create your own faith. You create your own religion, which was very much, is very much common today. Here's a, one example of it is Camp Quest West out in North Sacramento, California where they actually believe and teach children as they come in. You pay them 400 and something dollars, and they'll teach your children this very important truth. They believe you can design your own religion, basically. It says that everyone will believe, can believe in and that will be good for all, for all time. Basically, you can believe whatever you want. Create your own religion. Create your own faith. Take a little bit of this Eastern mysticism. Take a little bit of Christianity. Take a little bit of positive energy. Take a little bit of positive thought. Put it into a blender. Create your own faith. Again, beware that you don't get sucked into the empty deceptiveness of this world. You have to be very, very careful of that. Number two is relativism. Where you basically you choose your own path. If you don't make your own path, you choose your own path. And, and that's basically, you know what, I'm going to, uh, 
I'm going to make my own path or I'm going to make I'm going to choose my own path and, and you know if I don't want Christ that's fine if I want if I want this faith over here then, then that will be the path that I choose. You know what? Relativism says that they're all right. That as long as you're sincere, all of our paths are going to end up at the same. Have you ever seen that to be true in any other area of life? That all the roads end up at the same? No. You don't see that true in any other area of life. Why in the world would you count that true to be true in spirituality? Yet that is one of the things that we deal with today, is relativism. That everything's right and true as long as you're sincere about it. Be very, very careful because this is what Acts 4.12 says. There is salvation in no one else. No one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's not a multiple choice option on your choice on how you're going to connect with God. There's one way. I'm not trying to be narrow. Listen, I really wish that relativism was true. I'm being honest with you. I really, 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 really wish that there were multiple ways to God. Because then we could all be happy in the end as long as we're sincere. And we wouldn't have this kind of confrontation from time to time. But the reality is, is that's not what the Bible says. And I, it's not what I think or what you think. It's what does His Word say if we're going to get back to real stuff, Christianity. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says it like this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There's not multiple ways. There's one way to connect with God. See, the reality is Christian, Christianity is not restricting. You say, yes, it is. You're saying there's only one way to get to God. It's through Jesus. What I'm saying is once you identify and understand who Jesus is, you will run to Him. And you will embrace Him. And you will accept Him. And you will find that it's not limiting, but it's liberating. To be free. To have assurance. To have security. Be very, very careful that you're not building your own bridge to nowhere. It's very dangerous. Here's the second thing we need to be aware of, or detours. Dead ends are one thing. Dead ends, you get to the end of the street, you realize you made the wrong choice. You put your ladder against the wall, you climb up the ladder of life, and you realize when you get your ladder up to the top, your ladder's leaning against the wrong wall. Be careful. If you're here today, because so many of us in, this, in, the, in, our, in our church, our, our new believers, our growing believers, be, 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 our seekers even today, you're here today and you don't even know, you're, you know, you're still kind of figuring all the pieces of the puzzle out. Great, you're in a great place. I just want to be, warn you, beware of dead ends. But, but I want to say to those who've been maybe believers a little bit longer, beware of detours. Now, again, you want to get road raging me up a little bit. I don't know who to be mad at, so I'm just mad. So there's nobody to be mad at. But whenever I'm on a trip, I'm on a mission, I'm on a time schedule, I'm on a deadline, and I want to get somewhere, because I don't want to just sit in the car all the time, and then you put me on a, de- on a detour. You put me on one of those things where I'm not moving forward. I'm now having to go five miles out of my way to get back on a path, hopefully that I'll not have to ultimately come back on a path five more miles or less or more, I don't know, they get back on the main interstate to get down the road. Detours are not forward progress. They're sideways energy. And the reality is, is that sometimes in our Christian faith, instead of moving ahead, we start creating sideways energy. When we get off track again of the main route that God has us to be on, and there's probably no better example of this in the Scriptures than in the Pharisees. 
Now, I really believe we give them a hard time, but I really believe that they were good people in their intentions. They really wanted everybody to be living by the law, so Ten Commandments was good, but let's add 613 on top of that so that you can know that you know how to live out the ten. 613 additional add-ons that they made so that you could live out the ten. Now, the problem with that is I think probably every one of those little add-ons that we call legalism, Every one of those little add-ons just created another little barrier. I can't live to that. I can't live to that. I can't live to that. And then further on down the road, the further on down they moved away from their original intentions, what happens then is you really have the Pharisees kind of stepping up and looking down their noses at everybody else and saying, you don't quite measure up. You don't quite measure up. We face the same thing in our day. Verse Verse 16 and 17, look over there. Therefore... No one is to act as your judge in regard to the food you drink or the, or the food or drink or in, the, in respect to the festival, the new moons, or the Sabbath day. He just took one of those commandments and he just said, focused in on that. He said, well, the Sabbath day, verse 17, things that are a mirror shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It brings us back to Christ. He always brings us back to Christ. And the problem is with legalism is it's Christ but this, Christ and this, before you're really going to be right with Him. I've even heard people talk about the beat of a music being too much beat, and it makes it too much beat in, the, in a song, makes it an ungodly song. I'm sorry, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I've heard of people say, if you have a Bible that's younger than 1611 translation, that you have an ungodly translation. I'm sorry, I don't see that. You know, add on any other little religious add-on you want to. Beware of sideways energy detours that we get on very easily and can very much get us off the main track that God wants us on. We need Jesus without preservatives or additives. A dead end in detours. We need that organic, pure Jesus. Not adding in. Not trying to make more of Him, but just understanding. If we just understood the Christ of Scripture and followed the Christ of Scripture, oh my lands, what a difference it would make in our life. What a change it would absolutely make in our connection with people. So that brings me to the third route that we can choose, the path that we can choose in life, and that's dead ahead. Dead ahead. You can take a detour, get on that sideways energy. You can go on a dead-end street, spend your entire life on a dead-end street, only to find at the end you're at the bottom of the sack. Not a good place to be. So what what Paul does, again, brings us back to just reemphasizing that Christ is supreme. Christ, there's an enoughness about Him. It's not Christ in the Koran or Christ in karma or Christ in kind words or good feelings. It's Christ. And then when you understand and you're following Christ, then He can begin to make these changes in our life that are amazing. And if you didn't really think Christ was enough, look at verse 9 in chapter 2. 
just in case you were wondering, if Christ is enough, if Christ is God, if whatever, for in Him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Basically, my friends, if you want to know who God is, know Jesus. You, get, you, want, to, you want to get in with God, get in with Jesus, know Him. Walk with Him, live with Him, serve Him. Watch Him change you. He gives us in verse 6 and following some instructions. He says, therefore you've received Christ. I hope the instruction that you will see today is, is that you need to receive Christ because when you receive Christ, it gives you life to live. When you receive Christ, and it's interesting, again, look at, if you got it there, verse 6, therefore if you have received Christ, this is the only time in Paul's writings that he actually puts Christ as the object of the receiving. Most of the time you receive the gospel or you receive the good news or you receive the teaching or you received me. But here he talks about receiving Christ. And let me just say this to you. More than believing like me, acting like me, more than us all looking the same out of the same cookie-cutter mold, is that Christ is in you. And that you have received Him. See, the Bible talks about it in John 1.12, that as many as received Him, them gave you the right to become His children. So you can actually become a child of God when you receive Him. Now, understanding that is understanding the fact that this is a life change. This is not, I'm going to have Jesus as my co-pilot, or I'm going to have Jesus as my buddy, or I'm going to have Jesus as, you know what, He is actually living, dwelling inside of me in the form of the Holy Spirit. I'm receiving Him into my life. John chapter 6, verse 37 says, For the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. If you will receive Jesus today, if you've never received Jesus today, He will live in you. He will dwell with you. He will walk with you. He will be with you. I can't explain it. It's way past my words and way past my understanding. But don't think if I become a member of Grace Point or if I hang with the preacher or if I, if I, if I pray like he does or if I read the Bible like my body life group leader does. Or, no. It's receiving him. It's entering into a relationship with him. The second thing he tells us to do in this passage, he says, be established. He says, receive Christ. But he also says, be established in verse 7. He says, for as you receive Christ, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted. There's one metaphor he uses, rooted, kind of an organic metaphor. And now being built up in Him. He uses a construction metaphor. He uses two different metaphors to bring out the idea that I need to be fully grounded and established. When I'm established, it gives me stability to stand. When I'm established, I'm able to go through life. I'm able to see my, my 401B key, whatever it is, go down. I'm able to make it through it. I'm able to, to make it through the disappointments of life. There's stability in life when I have Christ. There's life when I have Christ. Because I've received Him. He's living in me. Jesus is never going to die. I'm never going to die. His Spirit is in my spirit. We are, we are one. But one of the things that happens to a person whenever they've received Him, they're being established in Him, 
they're also, there's a thankfulness about them. It gives you the joy for the journey. If you look again at verse 7, he says, In Him being established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Would you say overflowing with gratitude with me? Overflowing with gratitude. Say it again. Overflowing with gratitude. I tell you what. I want you to say that and hear that and let that resonate in your mind because there are some believers in this world that are Christians that don't have an idea of what overflowing with gratitude looks like. They've been sucking on prune juice and taking character lessons, personality lessons from Corilla DeVille. And they think that the idea of being stoic and, and stale is spiritual. But a person who's really full of Christ, received Christ, established in Christ, is one with Christ, they're overflowing with gratitude. We don't have thanksgiving. We have thanksgiving. We have this concept that it comes once a year and I'm going to do it that day, but it's the idea that throughout my life I can actually live it out daily. Richard Malik, one of my New Testament professors in the author of a Colossians commentary said it like this. He said, the very first indicator that a Christian is, is falling away from Christ is they lose an attitude of gratitude. If you don't have gratitude in your heart and thanksgiving in your heart, you're in trouble. A.W. Tozer said it like this. Gratitude is the offering of precious in the sight of God. It is, it is one that the poorest of us can make and be not poor but richer for having made it. Real stuff Christianity isn't whether you can pass a seminary final exam and do an oral argument. Real stuff Christianity is a life that's fully aware that Christ is in me and is fully planted down deep into the roots of that faith so they can go through the storms of life. And from that grounding, from that rooting, there are blossoms, there are beauty of gratitude that comes out of it. As the praise band comes back up here and prepares for a time of singing, I just thought, you know, as this journey metaphor kind of plays out, I think about I think about Molly. We have a team in Molly right now and we need to be praying for them. But I also think about the ways that you share your faith in this world you know, if I were to ask you if you received Christ, you might say yes or no. Or you may say, I don't know, what does that mean? That would be a very legitimate question. I have to watch my, 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 my words. If I ask you today, have you been sanctified, justified, washed in the blood of the Lamb? You might get scared and run from this place. Because <laughs> those are phrases and words that don't register maybe with you. If I was to say that in Mali, that wouldn't register with them. But whenever you're talking to a, a Malian about their faith, you really don't say, would you come forward today and receive Christ and fill out this little card and you'll be a b believer. That doesn't work. What you do is you ask them, which road are you going to take? Which road are you on? Which road are you going to take? Are you going to go on Christ's road? Or are you going to go on your road? 
Because see, even when you leave the village, you have to go to the chief and you ask the chief for the road. Can I leave? Is it, am I free to go? Yes, he'll say, yes, you're free, but remember the road goes both ways. You must come back. That's always a beautiful sound to your ears. But when you ask the chief or you ask somebody if they want to follow Christ, if they want to be baptized, sanctified, justified, or French fries is the other option. Um, if you want to be that, what does that look like? It means getting on his road and going his path, going his way. Whose road are you on? Are you on a dead end? Are you on a detour? Are you on dead ahead with Jesus? You know, if you are, thankfulness will be one of the fruits of that. Let's pray together. Father, we bless You. We thank You. We love You. We can't understand You. We can't fully understand You, Lord, because You're way past our limited minds. You're way past the biggest computer on this earth to try to figure you out. You are beautiful. You're wonderful. And you've invited us to be in a relationship with you. And God, that's just way, way beyond anything we deserve. But you tell us if we receive, we'll become your children. You tell us you'll not cast us out. You'll welcome us in. You tell us to be firmly rooted established in faith. And we want to be, Lord. We don't want to, as we go through these storms of life, economic, relational, or otherwise. We want to be strong in the storms. We're all going to face them. Nobody's exempt. attitude about it. 